Joe up there on the screen while it was happening. I love greeting time. Truly is one of my favorite times. It's an act of worship and fellowship. I don't often get to see it from this side of things, so it's kind of fun to watch from up here because obviously you have people that crisscross the entire, you know, auditorium to meet somebody over here, and then there are other people who are like, oh, it's time to warm up my coffee, or the people in the back who are like, oh, please don't let me have to talk to someone. That was me. Um, so I, uh, I can identify with all the various different uh, uh, roles and things that you feel, but the reason we keep that as a part of our service is because it is this act of fellowship, the second time time that my wife and I visited Church of the Savior, we met who became our very best friends. And we started a small group together. It was the second time we were here. Um, And you never know what somebody sharing the row with you is dealing with. The other reason we leave it uh, as a part of our service is because that's God's opportunity to nudge you to say hello or to speak a word of encouragement to somebody who may have been looking for anything like that this morning. So uh, love that you all joined in that with us. Well, my name is Neil. I am the executive pastor here at Church of the Savior. I'm excited to be sharing with you this morning, uh, digging into the word together. Hopefully you guys brought your Bibles and uh, we'll have an opportunity to get into scripture. But The fact that I'm up here means that I've got an opportunity to share some other things with you all. So we've been going through our mission, vision, and values. And this morning, I wanted to represent a value that matters greatly to us at COS. And that is the value of missions. Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. When you walk into our worship center, right there on the wall is my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Missions matters to us here at COS. It's one of our very important values. It matters so much, and I mentioned this at at first service, that you can look, so you can tell what somebody values if you look at their checkbook, right? That's what you've heard before. So the things that you invest in are the things that you value. So I just want to share a couple of figures with you to show you that our checkbook matches the value that we support and believe in international and local missions. So we have the way we do that here at COS, there's a missions planning group. Shorthand is MPG, 13 individuals who have volunteered to be a part of a three-year term to activate and to love on and to send short-term missionaries, long-term missionaries, pray for them, invest in a relationship with them. So these 13 people may make decisions about how we allocate our funds, but they also represent the relational side of the so very vital mission work that they are doing. So that matters to us. So our budget is $435,000. That goes all into the field. All of that gets released into the field. Now, specifically, 270000 is a tithe from our expected giving. Now, I won't bore you with the details of projections in church world and finance. Just know that it's crazy, and there's no metric that really can contain what, what it looks like. But here, based on our projections for this year, we suspect to the general fund people will give about $2.7 million. So we have committed, the board has committed a tenth, a tithe of that to go directly into missions. The Lord blesses us when we tithe. That's both true personally and 
as a church. So that matters to us. The rest of our budget comes from faith promise giving. $165,000 is faith promise giving. Those of you that have been a part of our church family last fall would have filled out those yellow cards that said in 2023, I can commit this much to give to missions. So we take all those cards up, we build our estimate for this portion of the budget, and that's how you get the 435000 Anything above and beyond that comes in over that goes directly into the field to support projects or our global partners who are doing incredible gospel-centered ministry all over the world. This is a picture of a church that was built by Generational Missions, Larry Cochran, in Nepal. So monies that you all allocated to missions last year built four churches, and this is one of those churches that was built because of the gifts and generosity of the people here at COS. This is another team that works out of Ecuador, and I'll talk more about what they're doing in just a minute. We have 48 partners Local, international, organizations, families, and approximately 23 countries. Missions is something we value. You can celebrate that if you want. No? Okay, you don't have to. Just kidding. (laughs) I saw somebody clapping over here, so I thought I'd make them feel not alone. This year in the first quarter, we've already sent $146,000 into the field. And we've built houses. We've built churches. uh, There's been training for pastors. And I'll talk more specifically here about four of our global partners. This is Chance and Miranda Lester. They serve in Lebanon. That's where they're based. But their area of ministry reaches all of these countries in northern Africa and then the Middle East. And the work that they're doing is planting churches, training church leaders. They have an online Bible school, one of the first of its kind in that area. And they are working, the areas that they are working in, this is not 1%. This is not 0.1%. 0.05% born-again believers in the areas that they are working. They are being light in the dark places, bringing the gospel of Christ to those who need hope. This is a house that uh, Larry Cochran with Generational Missions. The plan this year is to build 10 houses at $600 each just like this for families in Nicaragua who may not have homes to live in. All right. Larry's been partnered with COS for three decades, probably. We've supported Larry in missions, and many of us have probably been on a mission trip with him. And if you have gone on a mission trip with him, I guarantee you it was transformational. So he's doing amazing work. Uh, Last year, built four new churches in a variety of places across the world. And then this is Chris and Daniela Jones. If you were at our missions conference last fall, they're with Cornerstone International. They serve in Ecuador. And what's cool about their call is they, Chris in particular, makes day trips into the jungle to reach tribes that have not been reached for the gospel. Most of them have never seen a white person, let alone heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they do trips regularly into the jungle. He takes his family in. One of the villages they regularly visit is the village that was kind of popularized and represented in the End of the Spear book and movie from a few years ago, about a decade ago. So that's right where they're working. He's been trained as a wilderness first responder. So that means that he can go into the jungle as a way to connect with people to help... You know, they have an emergency, mudslide, house collapse. They have to reroute their pot water pipes, whatever the case may be. He's being trained to respond to those types of emergencies in the jungle as a way to open doors to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is incredible. And then Dean Davis, many of you know Dean Davis. Dean Davis, we've been partnered with for two or three decades. Uh, he does work all over the world. The one I'm going to highlight today is a prison ministry in Colombia. All right, this is a 
prison transition ministry. So towards the end of these guys' sentences, somebody starts coming in, they're reading scripture with them, they're discipling them, they're, they're sharing the gospel with them. The goal is what, when they end their sentence, they're not just released as a positive contributing citizen, they're released as a disciple maker. They can be a leader in their community because they can lead through the gospel. And, that, and they also do health and well-being, family support, all kinds of stuff. So 40 people were discipled last year through this ministry right out of the prisons in Colombia. And you're talking about cartel and drug business and all kinds of stuff. So that's incredible. Let's give it up for our global partners that we've shared this morning. It is my joy to tell you about that stuff because we don't talk about it enough. And so it's my hope that you'll hear more and more about what the Lord is doing all over the world from this little church right here in Nicholasville, Kentucky. It's not about us, though. I want to make sure I make that clear. It's not about building a COS brand. It's about building the kingdom and using the resources that he's given us to bless other people that we don't even know in parts of the world we could never go ourselves, right? That's what matters. All right, so this morning, I'm, a, I'm bringing a tough little bit tough, really tough for me, message about Speak Life. I want you all to know before I launch into this, I don't stand before you as an expert in this. In fact, I've failed miserably at this multiple times, so much so that it's difficult to stand up here and not feel a bit like a hypocrite because there are times that I have spoken ill of others or had an overly critical tongue or spoken death, and I suspect that some of you might be right there with me. So it's good to talk about, it's hard to talk about, and please recognize everything you hear me say to me. I'm not saying it as one who does all of this. I need this message as much as anybody in here today. All right. So in the Old Testament, we, if, you want, if you want, you can flip there in Deuteronomy 28. We're not going to spend a lot of time there. When I started praying about this message, the Lord had me start in Deuteronomy 28. It's kind of an interesting place to start, uh, but it details blessings and curses. Before I go too much further, we have special guests in here. Our COS kids are with us, kindergarten through fifth grade. You saw them up here. Everybody say, hi, COS kids. Yeah, that makes them feel welcome. That's good. So they have their own sermon notes and their own children's bulletin. So whenever you see COS kids out there, you see this little emblem in the corner. I want you to know that's your cue that this is some of the blanks for you to fill in on your note sheet if you want to follow along with us. There'll be four other times besides this one that will point to that. All right. So in the Old Testament, blessings and curses are based on obedience. All right. Deuteronomy 28 details 14 verses of blessings and 54 verses of curses. And actually, if you read some of the curses that are proclaimed in Deuteronomy 27, they read the curse, and then there's a line that says, and all the people said, amen. They make them amen, the curses in Scripture. So why are you telling me this? Why are you talking about this? These, the laws that were set forth in Scripture were initially for the nation of Israel. In order to achieve, a, 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 to, to receive God's blessing, they had to obey all of these laws. And if they did, there was blessing. And if they didn't, there was curses. And it was laid out in scripture right before them. There's some tough stuff in there, but I thought I'd share just one because it just seems so different from our culture today. All right, so this is in Deuteronomy 25. Situation is, A man is married and he dies before having a son. And his brother lives in the same town. And so based on Jewish law, 
the brother would have the responsibility and the duty to take his brother's wife as his own wife, his brother's widow as his wife, all right? And the purpose of them coming together is that they might produce a son that would carry on his namesake, okay? So if brother's wife, brother dies, then you take on the wife, you take on the wife and become her husband, and you create a son, and then that son carries on the family name. Now, if you don't do this, you can refuse, by the way. So the brother can refuse to take his, his brother's wife as his own wife. But if you do, then you're called before the elders. And I just want to read this. If the man does not desire, this is verse 7 of chapter 25. If the man does not desire to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate of the elders and say, my brother's husband refuses to take me as his wife. He's not willing to perform his duty. And the elders will summon him and speak to him. And they say, did you refuse to do this? Are you willing to do this? And he says, no, that I'm not. So if he continues to refuse, then the brother's wife can come to him in the sight of the elders, come to him in the sight of the elders, where'd it go? Lost it. And pull his sandal off his foot and then spit in his face in the sight of the elders. Thus is done, and then proclaim, thus is done to the man who refuses to build his brother's house. And in Israel, his name shall be called, his children shall be called those of the unsandaled one. It's kind of interesting, right? So I don't bring it up to make a mockery of it, but it's just not something we think about in our common culture today. But that was Common, common culture in biblical times, right? So they viewed in this very linear way, if I, if I obey all that is expected to me of me, then I will receive the blessing. And if not, then I will receive the curses. So why are you, and here's some more if you want to read. One of my favorites here is that your enemies will be defeated. They shall flee from you. That's a blessing for obedience in the nation of Israel. Uh, you will be the head and not the tail. There's curses up there. You can read them if you want. I'm not going to detail any of them. Just to just point out just a couple. Uh, hunger, thirst, oppression, kidnapping, land taken over. These are the curses in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel if you do not obey. So why am I telling you this? Because, well, let me, a couple things here. Israel. Diligent obedience and careful upholding of the commandments, the nation of Israel will be lifted high above all the nations on the earth. By failing, then they are cursed. This is a heavy burden to carry. They can't achieve it. They can't succeed. And I'll mention this. This matters to us. God's not done with Israel. There's this great little verse in Deuteronomy 30, and I'll just read it. It says, So it shall be, when all of these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I've set before you, you can call them to mind in all nations where the Lord your God has banished you. And you return to the Lord of your God and obey him with your whole heart and soul according to all that I command you today. Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again unto himself. So I say this to you, even though... The nation of Israel right now is far from God. God is not done with Israel. And the blessings of Scripture are coming back for Israel. And we are going to honor that because those that honor and bless Israel are blessed themselves. So let us never forget. And, by the way, we only have access to 
the sacrifices of Jesus, and I'm going to talk about that and the blessings of the Father because of the nation of Israel. So we'll talk about that too. All right. So, see us kids, there's your second point. Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse so that the blessing of Abraham would come to us, the Gentiles. This comes out of Galatians 3. You can turn there with me if you've got your Bibles. Verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So, Jesus became the curse that was due the nation of Israel, that was due us. So that we might receive the blessing that comes from God the Father. Jesus became the curse. That penalty that he paid on the cross was ours to pay for our disobedience. And because he took it all, he gave us freedom to access the blessings and the hope and the promises of God. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He became the curse so that we might be redeemed. So Jesus took the punishment we were due and received the curse for our disobedience. So by faith, not by obedience to the law, by faith, by believing Jesus is who he says he was, that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and rose again three days later, by faith, we now receive the promise of the Spirit, whereas prior we had no access to that. We also receive blessings as the sons and daughters of God. So COS kids, we have the blessing as sons and daughters through him in Jesus. Let me share this. Galatians 3 towards the end. Because you have believed, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free, male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. So because he became the curse on the tree, we receive the blessings as sons and daughters through faith. We didn't have access to that before, but Jesus made it possible. And if you're blessed, you see these pictures in the Old Testament of fathers blessing their sons, the children of Israel being blessed, laying hands, distributing blessings. We gain access to that because Jesus died on the cross. Prior, that was just for the nation of Israel. But it was opened up to the Gentiles because of Jesus' sacrifice, bringing us all together as one. Did you catch that? There's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free, right? Some translations say Jew nor Gentile. So we are all one. Now, we don't replace Israel. God still has a very unique plan and purpose for Israel. But we do gain access to the blessings that were not ours to access before. So we become his sons and daughters by faith. Now, I want to talk about this part where it talks about being clothed in Christ. Those are the grave clothes neatly folded in the tomb. Those are the grave clothes. When we are clothed in Christ... We are clothed two ways. First, the grave clothes. 
When he died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sin, we died to the flesh. We died to sin. We gained access to freedom that we did not have before. And so we are clothed in his grave clothes through his death. And then we are clothed in his clothing, his redeemed clothes in life. We gain access to eternal life by putting on and clothing ourselves with Christ Jesus. So we are clothed with him in two ways. If we didn't carry those clothes, we'd be like the outsider at the wedding banquet that had the wrong clothing on. That would be us. That was us until Jesus Christ, until the opportunity to believe by faith and profess with our mouths that he is Lord. Now we talk about baptism. We have baptism this afternoon. There's baptism class. And you've seen many baptisms up here on the stage on Sunday morning. And when Ryan lays them back, whoever's baptizing laying them, lays them back, he says, death, burial, and resurrection were baptized into the death of Christ and then raised again into new life with him. Raised again into new life with him. So we become Abraham's offspring. I know it's tough to see on the picture there, but that sky is filled with millions of stars. Imagine that passage or that moment where Abraham was standing with the Lord and he was saying, look at all these stars. Your offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. That was the promise that he made to Abraham. I don't think Abraham realized that when that blessing was spoken over him that it would apply to Gentiles too. It does. We are all children of the promise. So why do you tell me all this? Why do you put this out before me? Why are we talking about blessings and curses? Because I want to make sure that we understand who we are and whose we are. So this is our blessing. This is our identity in Christ. So if this is who we are in Christ, then who are we to speak curses over one another? over what Jesus has done. If you speak curses, if you speak death, if you speak criticism intended to bring shame, hatred, malice, other forms of unwholesome talk, at the very minimum, you're speaking that over someone who's created in the image of God. Now, if they're believers, you're also speaking it over a son or daughter. This is your brother or sister in Christ. Who are we? to curse what Jesus Christ has done. That's my reminder. That's my humility check. Because unfortunately, this has been true for me, we see it most often in our families. How we talk to one another. That last conversation you had with your mom. Or that last conversation you had with your son. Unfortunately, we highlight this all too frequently in our families. The words that we say have power. With our tongues, we bless the Lord and curse others who have been made in the image of God. I'm going to switch over to James. This one, if you have your Bibles, please switch over to. There are four pictures here about the tongue that we're going to go through together this morning, and I just want to read this. This is James 3, starting in verse 5. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts great things. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. 
For every species of beasts and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and have been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. So there's these pictures in here about blessings and curses coming forth from the same mouth. <laughs> Everybody been so angry that the spittle went flying out in front of you? Is it just me? The people we speak this over are people that were created in the image of God. So let's take these images uh, each one at a time, these similes here. An untamed tongue is like a wild horse without a bit. An untamed tongue is like a wild horse. I've never tried to break a horse. I don't know if anybody in here has ever tried to break a horse, but I think it's pretty, it's a pretty big deal. It's pretty tough to do. They're wild. They're all over the place. And so it takes a, a lot of expertise and patience to tame a wild horse. Look at this picture. Looks a little bit like Mr. Ed. Anybody here remember Mr. Ed? Do you remember Mr. Ed? Raise your hand. All right, we got some people. All right. If, if you're young people in here and you don't know who Mr. Ed is, go home and Google it. It's uh, fun, fun, fun television from our childhood. This is a bit. I was having a discussion with my buddy Benny about this passage uh, this week. And he pointed this out. I thought this was very astute. He said, you know, a bit in the mouth of a horse is not a muzzle. A bit in the mouth of a horse is not a muzzle. How many of you, especially my kids in here, have heard your teachers say or your parents say, if you can't say anything nice, then don't say anything at all, right? All right. Now, this bit in the mouth of the horse is not a muzzle. So I'm going to challenge that just a little bit because I think that's a little too easy. It's a little too easy if you can't say anything nice to not say anything at all. You just opt out of speaking. I think in order to surrender our tongues to the Lord and build up and edify and speak life in our families, we have to spin that on its head. We have to flip it. If you can't say anything nice, then try to think of something and say something nice anyway. (laughs) you got to flip it. Because if you don't discipline yourself to flip that, It's harder and harder to speak life. If you think it and you say it, then you're not checking what the Lord has put on your tongue. So it's not a muzzle. Don't just shut your mouth. Flip it and see what you can speak positively or to build up. All right, the tongue has power like the rudder of a large ship driven through strong winds. Here's a ship. That's a pretty strong storm. I'm not a Navy guy. I haven't been around a lot of ships, but this is what a rudder is. I do know that. I don't know if nobody corrected me from the first service. I think these rudders can be between 30 and 50 feet tall. They can be really tall. Uh, But in comparison to the length of the ship, they're very tiny. When I look at that picture with the storm and then I look at the thing that's steering it, I get a little bit overwhelmed, right? It's amazing what the smallest rudder can do. Now, they were probably talking about ships that were wooden, that had wooden rudders and no internal combustion engines, right? These were ships that had to rely on the wind, So imagine how strong a rudder had to be in order to keep a ship tracking when there's wind blowing it every which way, and that's your only method of propulsion. The tongue has the power, just like the rudder, of a large ship driven through strong winds. This one's the most convicting, to me anyways. It may be to you. The tongue can destroy just as a spark sets fire to a great forest. It takes one spark 
to create that level of destruction in a dry forest. And so our tongues have the capacity to do that much destruction. A couple other pictures here. Can a water fountain produce both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree produce olives or a vine produce figs? I haven't eaten a whole lot of figs in my life. I don't know if anybody has. I've eaten a whole lot of olives. This is an olive tree. And you would not walk up to an olive tree expecting there to be the sweet fruit of figs on it. So why do we expect that without the intervention of the Lord and surrendering our tongues to him, that we can do so with our own mouths, with our own tongues? This one, these pictures. (laughs) Every species of beast has been tamed by the human race. Now, I would make the argument, I don't think anybody's really tamed a hippo. I think they're just lying in wait, waiting to like bite your head off. Like that's what I think a hippo is doing. But this hippo, every species of beast has been tamed by the human race. Here's another picture. Can you see what that is? It's a lion on top of a horse, riding a horse. I have some questions about this picture. This is apex predator of the jungle who has claws still, because you can see him in the picture, riding a horse. The lion should be eating the horse, and he's riding the horse, right? All sorts of species of beasts have been tamed. There's just some things I wouldn't do. I don't care how much training has happened. There's just just some things I wouldn't do. This one I would not do. Sticking my head in a grizzly. They are wild animals at their core, no matter what. That that guy's living in an illusion of safety. Uh, This one was just funny. I don't know if you can read the text there. It's a meme. It says, look how instinctively the mother croc carries the baby in its mouth. Nature is beautiful. (laughs) Crocs are not tame. And then this one. This is probably a three-year-old girl just petting the trunk of an elephant. Nice kitty. Nice kitty. So sweet. These are booming animals that can trample entire forests. And yet this three-year-old girl can just pet its trunk. So every species of beast has been tamed by the human race, yet no one can tame the tongue. Proverbs says it this way. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. There's this picture we get in the New Testament of Jesus cursing the fig tree. If you hadn't heard this story before, haven't read it recently, Jesus and the disciples are on their way into Jerusalem out of Bethany, and he's going to clear the temple. He's on his way to Jerusalem to clear the temple. And as they're approaching Jerusalem, they see this fig tree. And so they, at a distance, they walk up to the fig tree. And when they get close, they find that the fig tree has not produced any fruit. There were leaves on it, but it has not produced any fruit. And the disciples say, well, it's early yet in the season. It's not even time for it to produce fruit. What does Jesus do? He curses the fig tree. And he says, may no one eat fruit from your branches ever again. That's what, he's do- that's what he does. It wasn't even season, Jesus. Why did you curse the fig tree? And as they're coming out after clearing the temple, the Mark version of this story, the disciples walk back by that tree and they look at it and they go, Jesus, that's the tree. That you curse, and it's found to be barren branches and withered. There is the power of life and death in the tongue. Now, I did some reading. I was a little bit curious about this. Why would Jesus produce, why would he curse a fig tree when it was early in the season? It wasn't even time for that fig tree to produce fruit yet. So why would he do that? You guys can search this out. This may not be the right answer. Somebody came up to me after first service and said that's what they've understood about this image. But what he says to the disciples, he said, I want you all to know 
that if you have faith and you pray and you ask for something in my Father's name, then it will be given to you, even if it's picking this mountain up and throwing it into the sea. So he used it as a demonstration to show his disciples the power of the tongue, the creative power of the tongue. Well, the other part that I think is relevant, he was on his way to clear out the temple. I think the reason Jesus cursed this tree is because this tree was an imposter. It was posing as a fruit-producing fig tree. And when he got close enough to look, even though the leaves were the right length, there was no fruit there, he cursed it because it was pretending. It was an imposter. And what did he do right after that? He went into the temple to clear out the money changers who were pretending. They were imposters. You have turned my father's house into a den of thieves. So I think that's part of why that imagery is so rich. But for us today, it demonstrates the power of life and death in the tongue. So what are we going to do about it? How are we going to handle this? Speak life. Speak only what is useful for building up. If you still have your Bibles, come with me to Ephesians 4, verse 29. But nobody expected a flower to grow there. If we speak encouragement and life into the most destitute of situations, then it can produce life. Just like this flower here in the middle of this road. I've read this verse a lot of times, but I've never really picked up or let myself linger on this portion right here. It says, speak only what is useful for building one another up that it may give grace to those who hear. How often do we think about the words that we say under the measure of giving grace to the hearer? Think about the last intense conversation you had with a coworker, family member, whomever. Did we really evaluate our words under that measure? Did it give grace to the hearer? And what I'm telling you today is that we can't do this. I can't do this without the Lord's help. So I've got a little bit of time for this. I've got an object lesson that I want to share with you this morning. I need two volunteers that can catch and throw a ball. Two volunteers, doesn't matter whatever age, that can catch and throw a ball. All right, let's go with Jonathan and let's go, and you get your hand up in the peach. I can't really see you right there in the back. Yes, yes, come on up. All right, give them some encouragement as they come forward. Thank you guys for being volunteers. All right, so I have here, and she's going to do an address. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, who wants to be the catcher and who wants to be the thrower? You'll be the thrower? All right, you go stand over there by the pool. I have here three different size containers, okay? All right, I want you to pick that pail up. Okay, and what's your name again? Remind me. Charlie. Charlie. Okay, so this is Charlie and this is Jonathan. All right, so from where Jonathan stands, Jonathan, I want you to take a ball or two, and I want you to toss it to Charlie and see if she can catch it in that pail. Make sure, make sure it's a good throw. Oh, hey, that's good. Do another one. Do another one. Let's see. We got it? Oh, yeah, and the bounce out. Awesome, awesome. Now, I don't know Charlie super well, so I hope this is okay. If I were to say to Charlie, listen, I don't know if you play softball or not, but if you do, or if you play any sports, you should probably stop because you're not very good at this, and you just, you just should give it up. Put your balls away, put your bat away, and quit trying. If I were to say that to Charlie, I don't know her super well, so hopefully that's okay. What I have done 
is I have spoken death over her and I've reduced her capacity to receive the next series of things that God is going to throw at her. So let's see if she can do it with this one. Well, this is quite a distance for that. Oh, see, I thought I reduced it. I thought I reduced it, but I didn't. But here's, here, here's the point here. Let me try one more. Now, instead, if I were to say to Charlie, Charlie, I don't know why I ever doubted you. You're amazing. You might be a professional softball player someday. I love that you're up here having the courage to do this and you had all your friends cheering you on. Keep up the good work, right? So I have just changed out her container to this large laundry basket. All right, let's see. Can she catch it in the laundry? Go ahead. She got that one. She got that one. Oh, oh, mercy. Okay, come this way a little bit, Charlie. It's all good. Got it, all right? Awesome. One more? Yes, all right, give these guys a hand. Charlie and Jonathan. You guys can sit down. (laughs) Did you you feel in the room when I started speaking the curse, everybody going, no, I disagree with that. Did you feel it? I felt it. (laughs) It's good. It's good. Well, here's the point. Here's the point. If we speak life and blessing over our children, over our coworkers, over our parents, we increase their capacity to deal with life's challenges, to receive good gifts from the Lord, and to handle all that's coming their way. If we speak curses or we speak criticisms intended to shame, then we reduce their capacity and they're basically taking things one step at a time. And we have that creative power of life and death in our tongues. And so this stuff matters. How we speak to one another, it matters. All right. The the verse here that I'm going to read for you, Ephesians 4.29, goes like this. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to the hearer. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When we speak curses and death, we grieve the Holy Spirit. So I did a little digging. In Greek, this word for uh, unwholesome, essentially there's two words that are related, and I'm not going to try and say the two words, but they're related. They essentially mean a curse. Malicious, derelict, rotten, or corrupt. That's what unwholesome talk means in the Greek. So you see up there, I, don't, I, I made it small on purpose, but you've got an apple that's being eaten by ants that's rotted. How many of us have used rotten or foul language? Not just in bad words, in speaking hate over someone. And what form does it take? Unwholesome talk can take many forms. Hatred, gossip, lies. I use this one because I saw it so often when I was working in the public schools, criticism intended to shame. It's not just correction. There is room for correction. This is criticism intended to bring shame. Just like that father or teacher is speaking over that boy, you're no good. You'll never amount to anything. Criticism intended to shame qualifies as unwholesome talk. But We are to speak only words good for edification according to the need of the moment. Now, I am going to try Greek in this one. This is oikodome. Oikodome is the word here. And it means building up in the faith, divine advancement, 
advancement. You can even understand this word to specifically refer to building up the church and its members. So, oh, by the way, we can speak life and blessing over our children, over our coworkers and our family, but we can speak life and curse. We can speak death and blessing and curses over our church family too. We've got to watch this. We struggle as the people of God to really try and tame our tongues. Let's make sure that we are known as a people who speak life as is necessary in every situation and circumstance that it might give grace to the hearer. It says here, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I said it earlier, when you speak a curse over your fellow man, at the very minimum, you're speaking a curse over somebody who is created in the image of God. At the very, very maximum, you're speaking curse over a brother or sister in Christ who walks in the faith. So there's some help. Two prayers of surrender for your tongue. First one comes out of Psalm 141.3. I referenced it in your notes, but I didn't spell it out. It says this, set guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch at the door of my lips. And then this one out of, out of Psalm 19.14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If you're wanting to set a new trend, with your tongue and with your words today. I would venture to say that if you spent the next 60 days praying those two prayers, that at the end of it, you would have a very different vocabulary. It would change your family. It would change your relationships. It would change your workplace. Proverbs says it this way, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's one that I need to like put on my mirror every morning. I need to see that one every morning. So I mentioned this to you all. I'll say it again in the parental context, especially, but not just parents, kids to their parents. How many times that I've said it to my own parents when I was younger, ah, they'll never understand me. They just don't get it. They can't help me. We're different people, right? These are things that I, as a kid said about my own parents. So this goes both ways how you speak about your children, how you as children speak about your parents. An edifying word spoken at just the right moment increases the capacity to receive good things from the Lord or deal with life's challenges. And each of us as image bearers for God have the potential to be kingdom builders and life-giving believers. I would challenge you, let it be said of us that we are people who speak life wherever we go. Because as we speak life and edify, build up for the hearers, as we do that, the kingdom of God will be built. I want to tell a story as I close. Worship team, why don't you come on out? Just to illustrate this. When I was working in the public schools, there was a girl that I was counseling with. And uh, she, we had hospitalized her in the fall. Because she was having thoughts of self-harm and suicide. So we had hospitalized her. um, Came out of school. Went straight to the hospital. Uh, In January, her and I were talking. She was doing better. And she came into my office and she said, I think I need to go back to the hospital. And I said, you need to go back to the hospital? Why? Why do you need to? You've been doing so good. I've been been checking on you. You've been having these conversations. Like your internal thinking has gotten so much better. And um, 
So I just kind of was probing that a little bit and trying to find out what was going on. And what I came to understand the more she talked is that when she went to the hospital in the fall, her mother, who works nights that she doesn't see very often, she came into the hospital room because she had to meet her there. And she laid down on the bed and she laid her head down on the pillow and she looked at her daughter and she said, hey, honey, how you doing? That's the first time in three or more years the mom had done this with that daughter. And so what she was really wanting was she was really wanting her mom to see her, to speak to her, to speak life, speak encouragement, and to listen to what was going on in the world. She didn't want to be in the hospital. She just wanted that moment with her mom again. So I challenge you with that story. There's some of you sitting here today who may have used your tongue to speak death instead of curses. It could be with your kids. It could be with a sibling. It could be with your parents. God the Father wants to redeem that for you this morning. This altar is going to be open. If you're sitting here with your family, don't let this opportunity pass to confess, to seek forgiveness, and be reconciled. If you're sitting here and your family's not here, I would encourage you to come down to the steps and pray. Maybe your parent has passed away. Maybe you don't ever see them anymore. But God is saying to you, I see you as the son and daughter that I created you to be. And I want to redeem that for you. I want to speak a parental fatherly blessing over you. And there'll be people down here that you can pray with, or you could just come to the altar and Jesus will meet you right here. Let's join together in prayer and worship. stand with us as we worship. Feel free um, to come and get communion. You can take communion as a family and pray as a family. Um, This time is for you all um, to minister with one another and just be with the Lord together. Also, our altar is open. Show me who you are and fill me. 
we're going to end today's service by singing the blessing. It just didn't seem right with what Neil was talking about to not do this song. And I didn't do this last service, but I felt led to share a little testimony. Um, My kids and I were driving in the car and just listening to the radio and the blessing came on in the car and I could tell like my kids started singing with it, but they were worshiping. They weren't doing like a loud shrieking thing like they normally do when they sing some songs, Um, but they were really engaging. And I said, hey, you all, let's just engage the Lord right now in the car as we drive. I said, let's just engage him. And can we just pray a blessing for our family? And so they were just praying and they were worshiping and God came in our car. And um, I got a call from my brother like an hour later. Like we prayed over cousins. We were praying our family. And one of my brother's kids at that very moment gave their life to Christ. And I was able to share that with my kids, like, hey, you guys, like, look what our prayer and our worship, you know, it's powerful. And so we're just going to take this opportunity. I want you all to really engage. And when you're singing this, don't just sing along with it, but really use it as a means of intercession to pray a blessing over your family. It is powerful and it is effective. So God, we just, we pray that as we sing this song, that we would release a blessing over our generational lines. We plead the blood of Jesus over our generational lines. We thank you, Jesus, that you became the curse to break every curse and that our children would live more free than we even have. And Lord, that we would live more free than the generations behind us, that you would just pour out a blessing on all of us this morning in Jesus' name.
All around you and within you, 
give him praise. We praise you, Lord. You know, this is about the Lord and not about Neil, but when I was asked to preach, the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night and gave me this word, and I wrote it down on my phone. I don't always do that, but I did. This is March 12th. I haven't read it, truly. I haven't read it until just this morning. People of the kingdom, so preach. People of the kingdom speaking blessings and no longer curses over your children. Teaching them to be houses of life and light. What is your greatest potential in Christ? If we can walk in this, if we can surrender our tongues to build up instead of destroy, then the Lord will activate gifts all over this place. And he will use you to speak life into dark and desperate situations. So Father, I just thank you today for the words that you've spoken over us, for the freedom and the sonship that we have through Christ Jesus' death and resurrection. Lord, I pray that you would release your gifts and your people today. I pray that we would be known as people who speak life and love and blessing, Lord. May this be something that defines who we are. May we be known for how we build up, for how we encourage, and for the freedom in life that's spoken as we walk into every situation. Pastor Steve used to say it this way, may everyone in the room be better because you're in it. And it's Jesus Christ working in this that will accomplish that. If you still need prayer this morning, the altar is still open. Please make sure you pick up your kids in nursery. And if you've got kids in here, maybe take them out for smoothies this afternoon. Be blessed.
thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next steps. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with our COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.